Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out at our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Um, so the, the speaker today is, uh, I actually became aware of him because if you know anything about me, you know that I love uh, prison and gang documentaries. I don't know, it's just a pastime of mine. And, uh, and I was watching these videos and one has gone viral recently. I think it's got over 6 million views. Um, and it, I, I was watching it and it wasn't even, uh, it wasn't just an incredible story. It was a story where eventually this man came to know Jesus. And so I heard his story and I heard that he was also local from Los Angeles. So I reached out to him immediately and he got back to me and he said, yeah, I'd love to come and, and you know, share my story with you guys. And so he is here today. His name is Johnny Chang. Please help welcome him. Thanks, dude. All right. Here we are again. Right. Round two. All right. It was so, we, we did this last night. It was a lot of fun. So hopefully um, I don't screw it up. Anyway. <laughs> So Johnny, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Like I, I kind of introduced is um, you've kind of been on this wild ride recently where right. you did this video about your story and now millions and millions of people have watched it um, and maybe some have in this room, but if they haven't, why don't you start from the beginning is who are you, where are you from? Give us a little bit of your background information. Sure. So I grew up in the San Gabriel Valley, um, located on the east side of L.A., um, it's predominantly Chinese and slash like Hispanic neighborhood. Um, and yeah, I grew up around a lot of gangs, drugs, and violence. Um, grew up in Section 8 project housing, which is, you know, low income. And uh, yeah, we grew up with, with food stamps. Um, grew up on EBT. Um, and your, your parents immigrated here, correct? Yes. And where are they from? So they're originally from Korea. But um, ethnically, they're Chinese. Culturally, they're Korean. Okay. Yeah, so I'm Chinese. And so they came here, and you were born here, though. Yes. And you have a brother? Yes, older brother. And uh, it was not quite the American dream that you were hoping for. Yeah, I would say it was an American nightmare. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. We, we actually ended up joining gangs, both of us. Um, I actually did first. He's my older brother, but... Um, you know, I ended up doing the, living that life first. So at the age of 12, I joined a gang. Uh, my father was an alcoholic, mother was Buddhist. So um, she was very traditional, very submissive to, to my dad. Um, and he beat me, beat my, my brother and my mom. Um, and you know, I just kind of ran to the streets, kind of looking for like a pseudo family. And yeah, at the age of 12, I joined. Three months into that, I actually end up catching my first case, and I go to this place. So you you <clears throat> end up joining uh, a gang, but violence was pretty much a part of your life from the very beginning, in your home and also outside of your 100%, home. One hundred percent. Yeah. So what what was that like? Because I I've heard you talk about how not only did you experience in your house, but like you went to school and mm -hmm. there was <clears throat> violence at school from an early age. Yes, yes. So we had a, a lot of. Uh, so I grew up in an era where the, we were kind of going at it with the Hispanics, the Asian gangs in my neighborhood. We're going at it with them. So um, there was certain we, uh, streets that I couldn't walk down. When I was 10 years old, I got jumped by four people. You know, so, I mean, it was just, it was just bad. And um, so we had to fight out on the streets, and then we had to, had to go back home and then, you know, deal with my dad beating on me. So, yeah, it was a lot. It was just trauma and violence everywhere around me. Yeah, so I think for, for some of us maybe who don't come from that background, we, we don't fully grasp why a gang might feel attractive to somebody. Right. Is you're thinking, okay, well, there's no place that's safe for me. School isn't safe. My family isn't safe. 
going outside, there's nothing. And so I might as well just embrace it and embrace the violence and at least stand up for myself. Is that kind of... Yeah, okay. exactly. 100%. I mean, um, I got noticed a lot because I was fighting a lot as a kid, you know, and um, my, 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 my friends, you know, my gang now, when they first saw me, they kind of recruited me because I was fighting so much, you know, so. Okay, yeah. so 12 years old, mm -hmm. you're in a gang. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that gang? So that gang is a, it's a Chinese gang and, um, you know, it's kind of like a triad type of gang, pretty organized. Um, but yeah, they, they were predominantly Chinese. And at that time, they had money, they had guns, they had power. So that's what really, like, attracted me to them. And I really had this mindset of, like, trusting myself because I figured if I did everything I wanted to do, I would be happy. The things that I didn't want to do, homework, chores, things like that, um, I didn't do because I thought it wouldn't make me happy. So I seen the lure of the gang. I joined the gang. And um, So you're 12. What is, like, the average age? I'm thinking 12. That's so young. What in my neighborhood, that's actually pretty normal. Okay. So I knew kids who were like 12. Some kids are born into it. Um, but like it's between 12 to 15, I would say, is when people start thugging and, and gangbanging. So what was, the, what was the age of most of the people in the gang then? Um, we had different generations. Okay. So I was part of one generation. We were around like 12 to 15. Then we had usually it's like five years, five years gap. So someone older than us would be 20, 25, 30, etc. Okay. Yeah. Okay, <clears throat> so uh, I don't know if this makes you a good or bad gang member, but you uh, got caught immediately, yeah. like within, what do you say? In three months. In three months, okay. So yeah. I don't know if that makes you good or bad at this. Yeah, but... I, was, I was like AP, bro, advanced placement, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was, I was, I've been on advanced placement and academic probation, okay. right? So, <laughs> so tell us about what yeah. happened. So um, actually, I, I, you know, and we end up getting, um, there's six of us, we commit a crime, we commit a robbery, we end up kidnapping the person. Um, because I'm the youngest one at that time, I take the fall for it, which is pretty normal. Carried the gun, everything else. So I end up, they charge me with um, robbery, kidnapping, but I, I end up pleading out for a, um, dissuading a, a witness for the benefit of a gang. So <clears throat> they give me four years. Um, I'm supposed to go to parole in two years, but I max out, which means because I'm fighting so much, I was being, I guess, a good gang member. I ended up doing all four years. And, and then I get out for 67 days, um, and then I, I commit my second crime. And at this time, they try me as an adult. It was a freeway shooting, and I end up doing 10 years, 85%. So, so you're at, you're, <clears throat> not only is that a long time, but those are formative years. Yeah. From 12 years old, you go and you're incarcerated in YA, and that's for four years, and then you get out for all of 67 days, right. and then now you have to go to the real, real prison, not that the other one wasn't real, but like yeah. big boy jail, yeah, right, big or bigger boy. prison. Yeah. Uh, so tell us what that was like, as you went in at what, 16, 17 years old then? Yeah. Mm -hmm. How was that going into, into prison at that age? It was pretty crazy. So YA was, was more like gangbanging, if you will. Like you had to stand 10 toes, they call it. You had to fight people. When I was in YA, within those four years, I was, I had, I was in over 40 fights for sure, right? So that was that. And then when you get to prison, though, it's, it's a different dynamic. It's more of a, they call it a car. So you got to come together. And I was with the others, right? Meaning like Chinese, all Asians, Polynesians, Puerto Ricans, whatever, all together. And explain a little bit of the politics of prison, because this is a, <laughs> it's a world within a world. It is yeah. fascinating. Yeah, so yeah. tell us about how it all kind of segregates and yeah. So um, when you get into prison, it's not, it doesn't matter what gang you're from anymore. Um, it's it's about race. Because so like you you could have been at war with 
somebody whom now you have to be an ally with. Yeah. You know, so like day, like in the streets, you're shooting at each other. Mm-hmm. Then you go to prison and it's like, okay, now we're together. Right. Which is just bizarre. Yeah, it's just crazy. So I had to learn that. You know, I had to unlearn all the fighting I did. And then I had to go in and be like, okay, this dude shot at my, my homie, my friend last week. But we got, we got busted. So we got to be like brothers. And he now has to watch my back. And I have to like really like, you know, depend on this person who's an enemy. Right. So, um, yeah, it was like that. And in the first two years, I couldn't program really well. I was still trying to fight. I was still trying to be all crazy. But after a while, you, you get used to it because it, it really is a, a war. It's, it's this race against this race. And there is no one on ones. It's like if one person has a problem, everybody jumps in, you know, so it, it was really like a, a free for all. You know, so we really had to program. We really had to be very militant. We had to watch each other's backs. We had to work out. We had to do all kinds of stuff. And it was really crazy. I witnessed stabbings. I witnessed people get killed. I've seen people almost get their head chopped off. It was crazy. Um, so, and it divides by race primarily. Yes. Right? So you've got Hispanics, you've got whites, blacks, and you said others? Others. Right? And then you've yeah. got you to go with your people. Yeah. The okay. others. Mm-hmm. So throughout this time, um, where was your faith? Or did you have any faith as you're in prison? No faith at all. All my faith was dependent on myself. I was just, because when you go to prison, you can't um, really like, so Christians, any people of faith, Muslims, whatever, they're looked down upon. It's a sign of weakness. You know, you're supposed to, because in prison, it cult- cultivates this mindset of like, you are your own master. You're a man, you got to walk 10 toes, you got to literally like take care of everything, you know? So if you go to church, they're just going to start making fun of you, taking your commissary, all kinds of stuff. So um, even though prison, there would be chaplains that would come in, you know, people that were apostolic, Presbyterian, whatever, nobody would really try to like listen to them, you know, because they didn't understand the, the politics of, of prison, essentially. But you uh, had different uh, cellmates who yeah. were people of faith, but nothing yeah. never... Yeah, it was more like closeted faith, right? They would be practicing on their own, and it was just kind of like like that. So, yeah. Mm. So, fast forward a little bit. You you finally get out at age 24, 25. 24, 25. Mm. And um, what's life like once you finally get out? I mean, you've spent your entire childhood or adolescence and young adulthood in prison, so you've got to be institutionalized at this point. Yeah, 100%. It's got to be difficult coming out. Right. So, when when I got out, I remember going to the gas station, and somebody walked in front of me, and they didn't say, excuse me. And that's a big thing. You know, when you're, when you're in prison, you have, if you walk behind somebody, walk in front of them, you say, excuse me. So when they didn't, like that PTSD came out of me, and I was like, dang, if I take off on this guy right now, I'm going back to prison. So I had to learn, like, these little, like, breaking systems, if you will, right? So uh, it was really hard for the first year, and that's why a lot of people go back to prison, because they're just like, man, it's, it's easier to just go in there. I'm used to this now. I don't have to worry about you know, a job, I don't have to worry about working, so three hots in a cot, and I program well, and people respect me, the more violent I am, might as well go in there, right? So for me, it was really hard, and then also, I tried to get a job, you know, I applied everywhere, applied to McDonald's, FedEx, all kinds of places, and that little box that says, have you been, you know, convicted of a crime, I was being honest with it, wrote down all my stuff, case number, court cases, everything, and Nobody showed me any love. So unfortunately, I had to go back to the streets. And I ended up selling drugs. I was, you know, pushing bricks and stuff like that. And I ended up um, making, I worked it up to where I was making thirty, $40,000 a month. But the thing was, I was still empty inside of my heart. Like, I felt a lot of misery, a lot of void. And I thought that coming from the projects, coming from Section 8, if I made a certain amount of money, I would be happy. 
but I always felt this void and this emptiness, and I couldn't explain it. I'll be in a room with 100 people, all my homies, and I would still feel empty and alone inside of my heart. So that was crazy. And uh, you weren't just selling <coughs> drugs. Were you also participating in uh, yeah, as well? Yeah, I was getting high off my own supply, 100%. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, so there was a couple of turning point moments, though. Yeah, so essentially, like, um, you know, about a year after getting out, I have built up this little empire or whatever. And so my friend, uh, we plan on, on, on like, an exit plan. We, we plan on robbing this, this drug dealer who was very well known in my area, was making a lot of money. And we plan to set him up and rob him. And I plan to go to the right of, right of his car. And, you know, he was going to go to the left of the car. So as I step to go to the right of the car, my friend steps in front of me. So naturally, I go to the left. And when I went to the left, though, I hear three gunshots ring out. And then my friend, he just, like, falls over, and the car speeds off. They're shooting at me. I'm trying to run off. And um, I see him literally dying, like, in front of me. You know, so he actually died in my arms, you know. And, um, you know, I felt that guilt. Like, man, that was supposed to be me that day, right? If I went to the right of the car, 100%, I wouldn't be here today. But um, that happened. And then three days after that, I get a kite, which is a, like an a encrypted letter. I'm speaking in code, essentially, from a friend of mine in prison. And he's saying the same thing. I feel empty. I feel void, bro. My life is over. But you know what? I love you. Think about me when I'm gone. Just like little things like that. And I was like, what? And then I find out that he hung himself. He committed suicide in, in prison. And then after that, um, you know, a couple of days after that, I had a friend. He, I courted him into the gang. He was a youngster. You know, a, a, We call him little homies. And he, um, I find out that there was a car-to-car uh, -car shooting, and he gets shot, killed, dies on, you know, instantly. So within that one-week span, I could feel death around the corner. I felt like my time was coming, for sure, 100%. But, um, you know, the, the amazing thing is my mom, she grew up Buddhist. She used to pray. She used to chant. She used to do all these things, believe in good karma. But she had such a, a, a horrible life, right? Husband who was alcoholic, two kids who were gang members. Just It was all bad. And she was the most submissive, most calm, nicest person that I knew. And Your brother was a gang member as well. Yes. And was he also in prison at the time? Um, at this time, he was. Okay. Yeah, he was doing 14 years. Okay. Yeah, so, um, you know, and, and my mom, she, she would talk about Jesus to me, and I was just like the car, like the windows in the car. You know, it would just roll up. Like, I'm not, I don't want to hear about God, if there was God, this and that. So I really didn't want to hear that. And, you know, she, she converted to Christianity, and she talked about this emptiness that she was, you know, talking about. But again, I didn't want to hear any of that. I don't think I was just ready for it at that point. But her car had broken down, um, you know, about a week after all of this stuff had happened, all my friends dying and stuff like that. And she was like, can you just take me to, to church? She's a deacon. She's a translator. She speaks three languages. So, you know, I, I was like, yeah, I'll take you, you know, whatever. My brother's locked up. No one else is going to help you. My dad's still an alcoholic, doesn't care. So I was taking her, but the whole time I was telling her, Mom, once I get to this church, I'm just going to drop you off. I'm not going to get evangelized. I know what they're about. Like, I'm not stupid, you know? And she's like, yeah, yeah, whatever, whatever. She's like on her phone. She's like, she doesn't care, you know? So we get there, and I'm like ready to speed off. But like she opens the door, and then I smell this like rush of like black bean noodles, right? And like... <laughs> I was like, oh, man, like, and that's my favorite thing, right? Being in prison, guys, like, food is number one, okay? It's top, <laughs> food and letters is like gold, right? So I smell that, and I'm just like, I'm trying to keep a gangster, you know? Like, I'm like, I don't care, you know? But, like, 
you know, they, the, the pastor, he comes up, short little pastor, Asian dude. He's like clean cut, no tattoos, whatever. He's like, oh, Johnny, thanks for dropping off your mom. You know, we, we made some homemade black bean noodles. And um, he's like, yeah, like I'll, I'll package it for you and, you and I'll send you on your way. And I was shocked about that. You know, in our culture, um, you can't just like take food and then just be like, thanks, and then, you know, leave. So I figured, what's the harm in going in there? You know, I'll sit down with him. I've already made it clear to him, like, pastor, I'll eat with you, but I don't want to hear anything about God. I don't believe in Jesus. I'm a Buddhist, right? And then he's like, yeah, yeah, no worries. So we get there. I finish eating best black bean noodles I've ever had <laughs> straight up from a church, which is crazy, right? So I sit there, and, and, and he's just like, um, so, Johnny, I just want to ask you. And he, he approached it very lightly. He's like, um, have you heard of, like, sin, and, and, like, what do you think sin is, and are you a sinner? That's what he said. And I was like, here we go, you know. I was like, all right, I'll just answer, whatever. So I told him, like, sin is obviously doing evil things, um, and am I a sinner? Absolutely, 100% I'm a sinner. I didn't just, you know, I was tatted like this. So I'm like, I didn't just run out of paper and draw my body, you know, Pastor, <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm a gangster, right? And, <laughs> and he's like, he's like, yeah, not so. And I was like, not so. What do you mean? Like, even I know that sin was this and that. So I started to kind of like, he kind of shook me up a little bit. And then he explained to me that sin was twofold. You know, it was um, inherited and then it was unbelief. So he explained it with a lot of analogies. He said, did you choose to be Chinese? And I was like, no. Right? He's like, if you stop eating chow mein and fried rice and orange chicken, are you then no longer Chinese? And I'm like, no. Why is this guy talking about orange chicken and chow mein? Because right? <laughs> he knows. He knew that food was the way to your heart. Exactly. That's what it was. Hey, yeah. That's facts. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he, he was, you know, talking about that. And then he's like, you know, there's a, there's, in Christianity, there's Adam and Eve. And when they sinned, they passed down the sin. Right? Just like your father was Chinese, his father was Chinese, et cetera, et cetera. Well, your forefathers, Adam and them, they were sinners, and they just passed it down. It was inherited into you. And I was like, oh, okay. And then he goes, you know, um, and sin is also unbelief, John 16, verse 9, of sin because they believe not unto me, is what he shared with you. That was the first verse. And he says, um, let's say you don't believe in something, right? Can you then follow that? And I was like, no. And he's like, so you trusted in yourself all your life. Would you say that? And I'm like, absolutely. He's like, the world teaches you follow your heart, believe in your thoughts, trust yourself. The Bible, though, says lean not on your own understanding. My thoughts are not your thoughts, right? So I was like, okay. So he was basically explaining it to me, but he was making it make sense, basically. He used a, an apple seed analogy. You know, he's like, if you look at the seeds of an apple, where are the apples, right? And I was like, Okay, now he's talking about, he went from chow mein to apples, Hey, right? still keep the... It's the food, bro. <laughs> the food, it's the theme. And I'm just like, man, so, so he says, if you look at the seeds of an apple, you know, you don't see the apples, but when you plant it, as you water it, as it grows, what kind of fruits will it only produce? And I'm like, apples. If it tries really hard, can it produce oranges, mangoes, things like that? Of course not, right? He's like, likewise, when you see a baby, where's the sin? And I'm like... Oh, it's, it's very beautiful. You were a good kid once when you were born, and, but as you grew, as you, you know, matured, you started to produce sin, lust, anger, frustration, murder, all kinds of stuff was coming out of you, right? And I said, yeah, and that really made sense to me. And then he said, so it's not the fact that you've sinned and became a sinner, it's the fact that you're a sinner and that's why you sin. So you got to get rid of this issue of sin. And he put it in perspective for me. And I was able to see, um, after that, he followed up with, and you're normal. Like, everything you did was normal. And I was like, what? 
my whole life, I was, even my mom, she would call me in Mandarin, little monster. Because I was crazy at the age of five, stealing stuff and just being bad, right? So he was the only person that told me that I was being normal and that it was okay. And, and, and then he started talking about Romans chapter 7, uh, verse 15. For the things that I want to do, I don't do. The things that I do, I don't want to do. And the things that I hate, that I do. So he asked me, Johnny, do you want to be depressed? I'm like, no. Do you want to be angry? Do you want to be miserable? No. But why do you always end up depressed? Why do you always end up miserable? You hate those things, don't you? I'm like, yeah. So the word of God, he says, knows your heart through and through. It's talking about you. It's talking about us. And he says, the reason why you're like that is because of Romans 7, 20. Now, if I do the things that I don't want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So he started to explain that it was the sin inside of me that was producing all the sin. And then he explained sin like, like basically like a virus. You know, he said, let's say you have the flu. The virus enters your body, he says. And um, what are the symptoms? You know, runny nose, sore throat, fever, let's say. He says, if you just get rid of the fever, runny nose and sore throat, but you don't, your body doesn't fight the virus inside of you, then those symptoms will continuously reoccur. Your fever will go down for a little bit and then bam, shoot back up. He says, when you talk about anger and frustration and like lust and things like that, doing drugs, those are just the symptoms of sin, right? And he started to explain to me that once you get rid of the virus, the sin, the byproduct is all that other stuff goes away. So he started to explain it at the core, like the core issue. And he's like, and that's why you feel empty because you're an imperfect person trying to produce perfect results. You keep falling short and that's why you're just giving up. And then he starts talking about Jesus Christ. You know, and I'm like, oh, here we go. The Jesus talk, right? <laughs> and I'm like, he's like, do you know about Jesus? And I'm like, I mean, I know that, uh, you know, at this time I didn't know, but he, I was like, Christmas is his birthday and he died for our sins. That's what I said, you know? And then he's like, okay. You know, he's like, but if you look at Hebrews 10:14, it talks about what Jesus did. For by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. He asked me, when you look at perfected, what tense is perfected in? And I was like, past tense. And he goes, right. So if something is in past tense, does that mean it's already completed? And I was like, yeah. So you're already perfect. And then it says forever. Is there anything forever in this world? And I said, no. So he's talking about eternity. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. By who? By you doing good? By you like being a good person? Or by one offering? Jesus Christ. So he said, you know that Jesus, he did that for you. You know, and I was like, okay, that's, that's awesome, you know, actually. And I'm like, he really says that I'm perfect, right? And he's like, yeah, absolutely. And then I had the question, well, what if I sin again? Doesn't that mean that I could just sin however I want? You know, I can go out and smoke somebody and be like, I'm perfect, right? And then he starts laughing, and he's just like, you think about it, right? You're not married, but I'm married, pastor said. Before I was married, there was a person who's single, for example. We're single. I can go up to that beautiful woman, talk to her. You know, we can date and all that. And it wouldn't be an issue. But now that we have a relationship, because I'm married, even if the most beautiful girl comes up to me, because of our relationship, I can't speak to her. I can't, you know, commit adultery, basically. Likewise, when you receive salvation, it's to deepen your relationship. As you get with God, you'll start thinking about God. God, is this what you want? Is, would you do that? You know, like, like your, and he started like, explaining these analogies, and it really started to make sense to me. And I was like, oh, okay, I understand. So 
after that, he Wait, just, so yeah. all this is taking place. Yeah. And your mom is watching all this? She's crying. Yeah, she's yeah. just tripping out. Like, she's crying. It all, all yeah. it took was some soup, and we could have just, just, we could have handled this. Exactly, bro. Exactly. Man. 20 years of pain, right? Yeah. Just, just feed your kids. <laughs> So in that moment, would you say like that was the moment that you received salvation and you, you became a Jesus follower? Yeah, I would say at that moment, there was that, that, that word entered my heart. I was able to accept it and realize that, oh, my whole life I was deceived. My thoughts would tell me, you're a sinner, you're evil, you're going to go, I didn't believe in hell, but you're going to go to a place like hell for sure. And um, That part really is interesting because you, you say... You know, you were an atheist or whatever, mm-hmm. um, but there was still this piece of you, this conscience that you had where you knew what you were doing is wrong and you were afraid of what the punishment or justice that might be there. You yes. know, there's just something within the human heart. I mean, yeah. scripture talks about it right. where, where it's written on our hearts, you yeah. know, eternity is written on our hearts. Amen. And, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, so, so you knew, man, I'm messing up. And then you hear this salvation message where you find out Jesus dies for you, and mm-hmm. then you accept it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's got to be like a that's got to be a trip. Yeah. Going to bed that night, like you woke up that morning, that's an serious. atheist, <laughs> gangster, and yeah. now you're going to bed. You're like, I think I'm a Christian. Right? Is that that's gonna be? Yeah, a trip. that was that was crazy. Yeah. yeah, I was, and you know, after that, he gave me my first first task, basically. You know, and he goes, "You read Romans chapter seven, right?" And I was like, "Yeah." And you do the things that you don't want to do. It's not you; it's sin, basically. And then he goes, um, "How's your relationship with your father?" By the, the way, we go way too light around here <laughs> because dude has just told him about Jesus, and now he's giving him a task. All right, like this is what you need to do this week. All right, now that you follow Jesus. So yeah. anyway, what was that task? So he was like, um, "You know, how's your relationship with your father?" And I'm like. Uh, it's it's horrible. I hate him. I haven't. He never visited me in prison. Never said I love you. Never said I was sorry. So to me, he's dead to me. You know. And he goes, okay. And he goes, um, I want you to just hear me out. Don't try to understand, but please accept what I'm saying to you. And I'm like, okay. I want you to apologize to your father. And at that point, I was like, I said all kind of sinful things, right? I can't. I can't say it. But I was like, like what? <clears throat> Maybe you can give us a make. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Yo, pastor is a gangster. You, <laughs> watching documentaries, and I'm just. <laughs> but yeah, so, um, you know, he was he was like, um, I was like, where in this world does the victim ever apologize to the aggressor? Um, I didn't ask to be born. He had a responsibility. He shouldn't have beat me. He shouldn't. Whatever he did, whatever he went through, he should have never taken taken it out on me and my my family. But. The one thing that pastor said that struck me to my core was, Johnny, you're right. And I'm like, okay, if I'm right, why are you asking? He's like, but because you're right, you're also miserable. That's what he said. And, and he was right. You know, he said, if you think about it and you go out and you look at these families that have a, a good family, that have a father that listens and loves their kids, don't you feel some type of way? And I was like, I do. But that's how life is, you know, still like hardened, you know. He said, no. If you think about war, for example, right? Like two couples, for example, why do, they, why do they fight, he says. You know, they don't fight like, I'm more wrong, okay? You're more wrong. Like, no, it goes, I'm right, you're wrong. The other person thinks, no, I'm right, you're wrong. So when two people are right, they, there's no peace, just like two countries going to war, right? So he says, when is there peace? When does peace come in? When one side surrenders. Says that they're sorry, the roads get rebuilt, 
telephone lines, everything else, right? So he says, I want you to understand by faith, if you say that you're wrong, right? And you recognize that it wasn't your father, it was the sin inside of him that was also dragging you, you'll look at it from like a bird's eye view. And <clears throat> it really made sense to me. So miraculously, I was like, all right, I'll give this a shot, right? Because I could see that this pastor in the core of his heart really like knew me through and through, even though he wasn't a gang member, even though he didn't live the way that I lived, he understood what I was going through because no one was ever able to unpack that for me. Most other people were telling me to repent and do better and try harder, but he was literally telling me, like, he was, give, he was equipping me with the tools. So um, I call my dad for the first time, you know, in years, right? And I'm like, hey, dad, this is Johnny. And the first thing he says is, I don't have any money for you. And I'm like, I don't need your money, right? Immediately I get angry, but I keep, I just keep remembering pastor's voice saying it's okay, it's normal, it's not him, you know? And so I get there. We go, we eat pho, you know, at this, this Vietnamese restaurant in Alhambra. There it is again, Yeah, man. food. <laughs> God changing your life through food. Right. <laughs> so um, he just, you know, we sit there, we're across each other, and it's just awkward. It's super awkward. And so I just muster up the courage, like, you know, Dad, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, I'm sorry that I was a bad kid. I'm sorry that I was, you know, a gang member. I'm sorry that I brought shame to the family. And the crazy thing is my dad starts crying doesn't say anything for a little bit and then he goes no son I'm sorry you know I'm sorry for drinking I'm sorry for beating you I'm sorry for beating your mom I really didn't want to do that you know I said sorry so many times but I as much as I wanted to stop there was just something that kept pulling me to it you know and we, we were both just crying you know grown men crying hugging it out 20 years of like pain misery resentment anger it was gone, paper thin, like that. And um, from then on, I was able to see that, you know, wow, like when I listened to the pastor, when I listened to the word of God, it, although it didn't make sense, it changed my life. But when I trusted myself and all my thoughts that did make sense, I lived miserably. So I was able to see that I could no longer trust myself anymore. I had to trust the word. Of, I had to trust pastor who knew the word of God, right? And, and so... You know, now my dad, you know, he quit drinking, comes to church. My mom obviously comes to church. My brother got out of prison a few years ago, comes to church as well. They all come to church, you know, and I'm so thankful about that, honestly. Yeah. You know, you know. Cool. Yeah. So the, you, your whole family now is following the Lord, which is an incredible story. Yeah. And, um, but they also still live in the same neighborhood that you grew up in. They do. And that's got to be interesting going back to that neighborhood and running into either old friends or even old enemies. How, how, does, how, does, that, how does that work? Yeah, so for the first year of my salvation, I was actually like still on the cusp of should I carry a gun? Because I used to carry a gun like, like I would wear socks. It was an everyday thing, right? So, um, but pastor had told me that, Johnny... If you think about it, right, God, he says he will go ahead of you and he's with you till the ends of the earth and he doesn't slumber, he doesn't sleep. So God really, you being a child of God, right, he wants to protect you and he wants you to lean on him, you know. So I had to make a decision inside of my heart again, you know, um, go against my thoughts, accept the word of God. And so I stopped carrying a gun. But um, the crazy thing is I would always have these thoughts. Well, Johnny, you're Christian now. But the people that you hurt back in the day, they're not Christian, and they don't forgive you, 
you know, if they catch you, it's on sight. You know, you will die. They'll kill you, you know. But when I kept thinking about that, I was just like, pastor was constantly telling me that God's got you, basically, right? And um, the amazing thing is, like, um, I think God was there from the beginning. Because when you go to YA, when you go to prison, and you do all this negative stuff, right? In the Bible, it says, where sin abounds, grace abounds more, right? So, um, I was able to meet the shot callers. I was able to meet the high-level people with the keys, basically, to their gang. And, um, you know, I was able to see, like, we're all the same. And now, when I'm on these podcasts, when I'm going internet celebrity, right, they come up to me, they shake my hand, and they tell me, bro, although we're on opposite teams, opposing sides, um, your story is my story, bro. My dad was also alcoholic, too, and I never knew that. You know, it's funny. We go out looking for people that look like us, right? We're basically killing each other. We're killing ourselves, and, and that's what they were saying. And I was like, that's so true. I'm not going out here, look, you know, trying to rob people that look like you, Pastor, right? I'm, I'm, we're, we're killing each other. <laughs> that's what's <Yeah>. up, man. <laughs> that's facts. <laughs> so, yeah, I... <laughs> I was walking around with him last night, and people are like, are you his bodyguard? I go, yeah, obviously. <laughs> you know what's up. <laughs> so you had one cool story where you thought you ran into some people who used to be enemies, yeah. and they kind of, they reacted different than you thought they were going to. Yeah, yeah. So they looked like me, and they, they pulled up, you know, with, with, a bunch of, with a bunch of their friends, and, you know, they hop out the car, and I'm like, here we go, God, I guess you're calling me today, you know, and I just, I froze a little bit, and, um, you know, the guy walks up, and he goes, Johnny Chang, right, and I was like, yeah, and then he goes, hey, man, he sticks his hand out, and he's like, bro, I seen your testimony, bro, um, you know, like, I'm not with all that Christian stuff, but that emptiness that you talk about, that struggle that you talk about, I feel that, bro, you know, so thank you for that, I've been binge watching all your content, and I was like, what? And he shook my hand and he was like, this is my little homie, little homie, little. So I'm like shaking their hands, you know, and then they're just looking at me and I'm like, wow, like God really protects me, you know, through these things. All I did was share my story and preach the gospel. And really like, as you put God first, right? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, all else will be added unto you. Security, everything else was added to me. And then, and now I've like, I recently got invited to a baby shower of the enemies, you know, they're like, bro, could you, you know, bless it? And I'm like, all right, bro, it's just going to be me and your family, right? You're like, wait, are you sure? Exactly. I was like, it's not a setup, right? right. So, and um, I go there, and obviously, like, his family is, a hun- is all of his gang member friends. So it's like a 100 of them, and it's me, one deep, right? But the amazing thing is when I get there, every single one of them shook my hand. They were like, hey, bro, whatever we did in the past, we did in the past. But honestly, like, I respect you. You know my, my, my brother. You were in prison with him, yada, yada. So I could see that God had orchestrated all of that. It wasn't me, you know. And if I had a gun, let's say, and, and, and I followed myself, you know, and I did that, it would just cause more problems. So now I could see that God is building this bridge from me and them and, like, across our little homies, the young, the young kids together, you know. So I'm so thankful to God. God is truly faithful. Yeah. yeah. So um, what does your ministry look like now? What do you, what you, prison ministry, things like that? Yeah, so I do prison ministry. I'm also an international chaplain. But mainly my thing is prison ministry. So I go to these prisons and uh, we teach, um, you know, basically the gospel, but in these simple ways, using analogies like the car and, and braking system, accelerator, things like that. So um, the amazing thing is they're listening to the gospel. We believe that faith comes by hearing, hearing the word of God, right? So 
as I, as I go in there, I talk about my story, and, and there's Buddhists there, there's atheists, there's Muslims, but the one thing they can relate to is that we're all interconnected through this struggle. They all feel this yearning of the spirit, this, this sin inside of their heart, you know, and they always do that. They always tell me, like, hey, man, Johnny, like, I don't know about the Christian stuff, but, like, the fact that, like, Jesus was able to take away these sins and, like, I feel what you feel, bro. I live that up and down. Happy when I'm happy, sad when I'm sad. Happy, sad, happy, sad, happy, sad, until we just empty completely and numb. And so uh, the amazing thing is there was a guy who was Buddhist, and he was in my 16-week class, right? And he, at first, he was really challenging. Well, if there was God, why would they allow babies to die? He was just like that type of person. You know, that's why I'm Buddhist, bro. And you, you're a religion hopper. That's what he told me, oh, right? Okay. And that's disrespectful because a hood hopper is a bad thing, meaning I join one gang and then I go to another side. So he called me a religion hopper, right? And I was like, all right, that's cool. I mean, I went to the right religion, but whatever, you know? So, you know, I told him... Um, it's, it's okay, I just showed him love, I understood. But the amazing thing is after the 16 weeks, he started to like soften his heart, right? And he ended up, um, you know, confessing that Jesus was his Lord and Savior and he was able to convert, which I thought was so amazing. That's you know? so, so cool. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Um, last question. When you go in and, and you're meeting with all these guys, what is like your one, besides, you, you obviously want them to understand the gospel, but what is the one message that you preach to them or you try to, uh, reach them with? Mm, I try to teach them like Genesis chapter six, verse five, which says, don't like, don't trust your thoughts, right? Because when you trust yourself, um, literally like you can't trust God, right? So um, our thoughts are not God's thoughts. So like when you trust yourself, you'll just go your own way. And that's what caused me. You know, I had that mindset of I'm going to do everything I want to do and anything I don't want to do, I'm not going to do. But that led me to a life of misery. That led me literally to be empty inside of my heart. So I teach them that if you follow yourself, that's this imperfect person where your heart changes. One minute you love someone, next minute you guys argue and fight, you hate them. It's like you shouldn't trust this thing that constantly changes. And then they go, why do you trust the Bible? Because if you look at the Bible, we call it, in the prison term, it's called solid, meaning it doesn't flip-flop, it doesn't change. Hebrews 10:14 is there, whether it's today or 100 days from now or 10 years from now. It's still the same word of God. That is something you can trust because it doesn't change. And so they recognize this. So I teach them, don't trust yourself that's constantly changing, right? This world tells you to do that, but where is your life at now? You're in prison. Some of these people have LWAP, which is life without parole. They're not going home. They're dying in the prison. So, and, they, and that came about because they trusted everything, their flesh, everything in their heart. They did, right? So um, that's the main message, and, and that really frees people, you know, from stepping out of themselves and then putting faith in something higher than themselves. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Cool. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for sharing Absolutely. your story with us this week, Absolutely. and we, we appreciate it. Um, before we leave, would you mind praying for us? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Father God, I'm so thankful that you allow us here to have this, this fellowship today, Lord. Um, Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here that uh, truly needed to hear this message, I, I ask that you enter their hearts with these words, Lord, that we are righteous and not to trust our own thoughts, but to you know, believe your word, God, with, with all of our heart, Lord. And Lord, you, we really are nothing without you, God. I'm so thankful, God, that you 
you know, the way that you help me in my life, you also want to help the people here who are struggling with this emptiness, struggling with this void. Father God, you taught us not to trust ourselves, right, but to believe in you fully. Uh, you sent your only son. Um, although we, were, we had to pay for the sins um, and we, we were supposed to die, you allowed your son to die for us, Lord. I'm so thankful about that, God. I pray that if there's anybody here, truly, God, that's unclear about that, please allow them truly to, to accept your words exactly as it is inside of their hearts, Lord. And I pray that you bless this, this ministry, Lord. Um, you know, we are one body, God, and when you say two or three are gathered, there you are in the midst of them, Lord. Truly, God, you go before all of us and give us the hearts to continuously advance the kingdom, Lord, um, for, for the next generation and, and beyond. Thank you, Father God. We leave everything in your hands, Lord, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We hope you enjoyed this message, and remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.